discover the inherent power of God in you. Whether there are challenges or not, we are still the same, we are constant. God is constant, God does not change. And that is the life that we have received. He says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. That is the same life we have also received. We are also the same yesterday, today and forever. What kind of life? We, we, we are the same because we have the same life with Christ. So when you think about God, think about you. Because everything he is, that is why he told Abraham, he said, I am your, your exceeding great reward. God gave himself as a reward to Abraham. And we are the seed of Abraham. Therefore, we have inherited God himself. Listen to Pastor Oti Boateng as Christ is magnified in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. A warm evening to all of you. It's great to be with you once again. I know the Holy Spirit is with you and is blessing you and helping you and guiding you and leading you in every single step of your way. I want to welcome you once again. And uh, I know you're going to have a wonderful time. I know you have, you've had a wonderful time already. So we're just um, bringing the icing on the cake that you're already enjoying in your service. Let's start with a quick word of prayer. And uh, we'll continue from there. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your mighty Holy Spirit who is leading us and teaching us. Thank you for the precious ministry of your word and the precious ministry of your spirit that are working practically in our midst. We receive your word with meekness and with gladness, even in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, on Sunday, I started a question and answer session with you. And we answered a number of questions and uh, we asked for those of you who still had questions to send in your questions and i've received a number of them we've received a number of them and i want to um, answer those questions for you tonight i know it's going to be a blessing to you because it's it's these questions address um a wide spectrum of um the wisdom and the knowledge of god that i believe will be a blessing to you the first one says uh, unfortunately you didn't add their names but it's, it's fine this one says please in romans chapter 6 verse 5 to verse 11 there is mention of the power of sin okay so let's look at it if it is like that i checked and i realized there's there's no phrase like that power of sin but you mentioned um those verses so I'll, I'll look at it and we'll look at it in just a few minutes it says please in romans chapter 6 5 to 11 there's mention of the power of sin we are made to understand that the power of sin has been broken due to the death of jesus please my question is what exactly is the power of sin and is it possible to have a believer still under or influenced by the power of sin if yes how does one overcome this or see that the power of sin truly has has no influence in their life thank you all right, so let's look at Romans chapter 6, verse 5, to help address um, this particular question. The power of sin. Like I said, if you check, you may not see it together like that, the power of sin. Maybe you are using another version, but the King James Version does not mention it like that. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead died no more, death has no more dominion over him. Verse 10, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you've noticed, there's no mention of power of sin. If you, I'm trying to help you with that because if you have that in your mind, then you think that sin has a certain kind of uh, sway or has a certain kind of wild power that cannot be dealt with. Do you see? Sometimes we overestimate sin. We give sin too much funds. And give too much, give sin too much place in in our lives, and think that it has so much power over us, but it doesn't. Hallelujah. Okay, this is amplified. It is for when this is amplified. Romans chapter six verse seven. For when man a man dies, he is freed, loose, delivered from the power of sin among men. I've seen it. So this one mentions the power. So I'm sure probably use the amplified. You know, but um, the idea communicated is. Um, 
an influence, okay? Of course, it could be described as power, but then it's basically an influence, uh, a stronghold, something that holds sway in people's lives, okay? Now, um, when you get born again, so look at your question, says, we are made to understand that the power of sin has been broken due to the death of Jesus. Emphatically, yes, that's the truth. Sin, sin's influence or sin's ability, sin is actually a nature. Okay, that, that, is, that is how sin is. Understand it like that. If you understand it like that, it will help you understand exactly what has happened, what Jesus has done. Sin is a nature or sin is a seed. Okay, a seed that brings forth fruits. Now, Jesus' death took care of that seed. Took away the seed out of our spirits. Okay, if you read in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, it says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. Then it says, And I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I'll give you an heart of flesh. This it says, I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I'll give you a new uh, a heart of flesh. I'll take away that stony heart. That stony heart of flesh comes as a result of the, the seed of sin that was sown into your spirit that ends up affecting your, your, your heart. So he says, I'll take that away from you. And that's what happens. Jesus' Jesus's death took the seed of sin and washed us from our sins. Hallelujah. Yes. It also says that for without the, rem- the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Do you see? So blood needed to be shed for the remission. Remission means complete removal, not covering. There was the covering of sin of the Old Testament, okay? And there's the removal of sin in the New Testament. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus removes the nature of sin from you. Let's look at that, Hebrews chapter 9. So Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, And almost all things are by the Lord purge of blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Is no remission. Let's read the other versions probably to help us look at the Amplified. In fact, under the law, almost everything is purified by means of blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is neither release from sin and its guilt, nor the remission of the due and merited punishment for sins. Have you seen it? So, Jesus' blood took care of the sin of humanity. Sin has been removed. The new creation man has nothing to do with the nature of sin. He's a new man. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Do you see? Then it says, all things are passed away. The old man, with all his sin, was taken out, removed. There was a complete removal of sin out of the way. So if you're a Christian, sin has no place in your life. You have nothing to do with, with the nature of sin. It's a nature. And that is what has been taken away. Do you see? On, uh, on, on Sunday, I think I was mentioning this to you. If you read in Ephesians chapter 2, Verse 1 and verse 2. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 1 and 2. You see the nature of sin mentioned. There's a new has he quickened or made alive who are dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 2. Wherein in time past you walked according to the curse of the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Verse 3. He says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the last of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature. Mm? By nature, the children of wrath, even as others, by nature. Yes, that's the nature of sin. You see, it is we're by nature, the children of wrath. So it's a nature that was imparted. Adam had the nature of Satan imparted to him when he partook of that fruit. When he partook of it, sin was ministered to him. And when sin was ministered to him, death followed. Death is the firstborn of sin. Do you see? Sicknesses, diseases, poverty, and all of that, they are all children of sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes. So, um, sin is primarily a nature which is dealt with by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. So, when you become born again, sin is taken away from you. The nature of sin is removed from you. That's the truth. That's why he says in 1 chapter 3, verse 9, that whosoever is born of God cannot, does not sin. Why? Because the seed of God remaineth in him. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed, the seed of God, so the seed of the devil is replaced with the seed of God. The seed of sin is replaced with the seed of God. Since the seed of God, uh, he cannot sin because he is born of God. For his seed, God's seed remaineth in him. 
God's seed remaineth in him. Hallelujah. So that's, that's what happens uh, on, the, on, the, on the cross of Calvary. Jesus became the very epitome of sin and died to sin. Okay? And hence was freed from that, that nature. Jesus didn't have the nature of sin, remember? When he was born, because he was born by um, the Holy Ghost, he didn't have the seed of sin, which is in the sperm of man. Can you imagine? <laughs> it's in the sperm of man. He didn't have that communicated to him because it wasn't the sperm of man that was used to fertilize the egg of, the, of, of Mary. You see, it was the sperm of the Holy Ghost himself, the sperm of God himself that was used. So he didn't have na- the nature of sin in him. You see, so he walked in this earth and sin had no, no dominion over him. Why? Because he didn't have the nature of sin. He didn't. He could not. The seed of God was what was in him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the Bible says that he was tempted in all points and yet was without sin. He was found without sin. Sin tried to pull him down, but it didn't work. He said, the prince of this world cometh and he has, no, he has nothing in me. Do you see? So Jesus could become the sacrifice for sin because he was perfect. You see, an innocent lamb was required to, to be used as, a, as the sacrifice for the sins of Israel. So an innocent, sinless, perfect lamb or human being was, going to, was supposed to be used. And there was none going to be found in the human race because everyone in the human race was born by uh, the sperm of a man. So God himself, himself injected himself into the, 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 the human race and brought somebody who could be a container for sin. So Jesus contained sin. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he has made him to be sin. The word made there is to um, manufacture or to put all into. So he, was, he became the very container of sin. For he has made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin? So that we might be made the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. So he, he, he made Jesus a very epitome. As he was hanging on the cross, God could not look on him because... God cannot behold sin. Jesus had become the very definition of sin. That was why God looked away. And Jesus said, my father, my father, why has thou forsaken me? God turned away because he could not look on sin. And Jesus had become the very definition of sin. Do you see? Jesus took the nature of sin. He took all the nature, all the fruits. He took the seed and all the fruits and died. Do you see? His blood was good enough to be used to wash us from our sins. Let me look at it. It's called the washing of regeneration. When you are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are regened. You see, because it's a nature, because sin is a nature, it affected the genes of man. And Jesus brought his blood, which is pure, which is correct, which is uh, the blood of God, to wash us in order for us to be regened. Do you see? Let me show you. There's one in, what I'm saying is in Titus chapter 3, but let me show you this one in Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 1. Then I'll show you the one in Titus chapter 3. Revelation chapter 1 from verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace, grace be unto you, sorry, and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. And from the seven spirit, which, spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. Then he says, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, as he washed us from our sins in his own blood, as he was washing us in, of our sins in his blood, when sin was taken away, we were regened. We were regened. It's called a regeneration. Eh? Let me show it to you. Titus chapter 3, verse, verse 5. It says, not by works. Let's read from verse 4 so that it makes more sense. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. How did he save us? He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. There's a washing of regeneration. And the word regeneration is regening, to regene you. So you, as a child of God, you have been regened. Okay? You have been regened from the genes of sin to the genes of God. It's amazing. It's an amazing reality. You need to believe it. If you believe that sin has so much power and that it, it, it holds sway over you, no matter what, then you're going to have a problem. You must believe in what God has done for you and I through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, Romans chapter 5, verse 18, he says, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, rather, he says, But God commended his love towards us in that one way, yet sinners, Christ died. Why did he die? He died so that he could take away that sin. 
God does not like sin, but he has a cure for sin. Yeah. And that cure is Jesus Christ and his blood. Yeah. You see, that takes, that takes away sin from you. It takes away sin from you. Okay? So the old nature is, an, is a nature. Yeah. Is a nature. That old nature is crucified with Christ. That is why Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, Look at it. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. It is knowing this that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So the nature of sin has been destroyed by God's grace. You know, but like sin was sin didn't affect only um, the nature of man, it affected everything. You know, everything. The whole of creation was also plunged. Let me show it to you. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans 5, verse 12. It says, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. You see, by Adam, sin entered into the world. Sin gained an entrance into the world. Then it says, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Do you see? Sin entered. Sin didn't only enter into man. It entered into the whole world. So every single thing was affected by sin. So sin, sin is a nature that entered into everything. So all the animals were even affected. The lion was grazing, eating grass, like an, like an antelope. And he was eating grass with the antelope the day Adam partook of the fruit. When Adam partook of the fruit, as soon as Adam partook of the fruit, sin entered into the lion. And sin entered into the antelope. The antelope developed suspicion of the lion. And the lion developed instincts, prey instincts against the antelope. And death came in. The lion jumped upon the antelope and killed the antelope. I'm not saying that's what happened literally then, then. But what I'm saying is that this is, this is the picture that is painted for us. Death entered. Sin entered. It entered into the world, not only into Adam. You see, so the world is even awaiting. The whole world is awaiting. Creation is awaiting for sin to be taken away from it. You know, and we see that in Romans chapter 8. Let's read from, from verse 19. Let's read verse 19. It says, For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Mm, he subjected the same. Then in hope, the, actually the comma is before the in hope. He subjected the same, but he subjected it with the mindset that the Lord, there's a hope that was going to come. In hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travelleth in pain until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to which the redemption of our body. So there's a day coming when our body is redeemed or um, um, is, is changed, the changing of our bodies. Okay? Um, and that day will come with the whole world also being redeemed or being taken away from sin. Hallelujah. So, as a child of God, you have been freed. You see, you have been washed, like I was saying. You've been washed. There's the washing of regeneration has happened practically in your life. And sin has been crucified. Crucified. The nature of sin has been crucified. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Crucified. Even to the point of um, taking away... The, so the whole tree of sin, the seed with the tree, with the fruit, with the stem, everything was taken away. So there's a body of sin that was also taken away. Okay? And we, if you look at Colossians chapter 3, chapter 2, verse 11, you see it. He says, In whom you also are circumcised with a circumcision made with our hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You see, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So Christ has circumcised us. He has taken away the body of sin of the flesh. And that's what we see in Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Paul said, as for me, uh, remember, he says, knowing this, that our old man, our old man, that's the nature. The nature of sin was crucified with Christ. For what purpose? So that the body of sin which is a stem or the instrument, the means by which the nature of sin expresses itself through the body into this world. It's like the stem of sin upon which the fruit of sin hanged. So the body of sin has also been taken away. He says he, the, the nature of sin was crucified, the old man was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. 
that henceforth we should not say. So sin is actually a choice now. You are, you are not to serve sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are not to serve sin. If you look at Galatians chapter 5, verse, um, verse 24, Galatians 5, 24, he says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with their affections and lusts. Do you belong to Christ? Yeah. If you read in Second, First Corinthians chapter three, you see it. First Corinthians chapter three, verse twenty-two. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. Verse 20, twenty-three. Then it says, "And ye are Christ, and Christ is God's. You are Christ. Do you belong to Christ? If you belong to Christ, then He's letting you know that all those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh." with the affections and the lusts thereof. The affections and the lusts of the flesh have all been crucified. Can you imagine? With Christ on the cross. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross, then you must believe that the nature of sin was taken away and you must believe that the body of sin was also taken away or unemployed. So now sin is a choice. Sin is a choice. And I want to show, you, 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 you ask a question, you know, along that line. You ask... Please, my question is, what exactly is the power of sin? We've answered that. We've answered that. And, what's, and is it possible to have a believer still under or influenced by the power of sin? Can a Christian be under or influenced by the power of sin? It depends on the Christian. It's a choice. Sin in that Christian has been taken care of. Sin in his flesh has been taken care of. Everything has been taken care of by God's grace, through the ministry of Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ. Now it is up to you to decide what you do with yourself. So he says, he took care of the body of sin so that you would not save sin. Go back there, Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not save sin. He did that so that we would not save sin. So it's a choice to save sin now. And if we go down in Romans chapter 6, you will see it. We can go to verse 7. It says, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Because we died with Christ, we're freed, of, we're freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, shall, we believe, shall we, we believe that we shall also live with him, or rather we live with him? Next verse. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead died no, died no more, death has no more dominion over him. Next verse, verse 10. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Then he says, likewise, you too, recognize, reckon, put your account to be, recognize yourself or reckon yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin. You are indeed dead unto sin. But now alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So all your relationship with, de- with sin has been cut off. It's been destroyed. The nature of sin has been taken away. The body of sin has been taken away. The fruit of sin has been taken away. So he says reckon. Recognize the same thing. Put it to your account. The, re- the word reckon is an accounting word. It means to put to your account. Put to your account. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, so he says you are freed from sin. You know, but can a Christian be influenced by sin? It's a decision that a Christian needs to make. So you as a child of God will have to decide. There's nothing like now, there's nothing like I can't help myself, I don't know what, no, it's not true. It doesn't work like that now that you're born again. Now that you're born again, it's different. The power of sin has been broken or the influence of sin has been broken, or the seed of sin has been taken away. I've explained it to you. Yeah. Do you see? Now look at verse 12. So he express, from verse 12 explains to you what, you see, he begins by saying, let not, let not sin therefore reign or rule in your mortal body. He accepts that this flesh, this body is mortal. It is death doomed. It is subject to decay. It has a problem. He agrees. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the last thereof. So now you can obey sin in the last thereof or disobey sin in obedience to God. Do you see? So he says, let not. You can decide that I, I, I don't like this. It's okay. It's finished. I'm done with you. No more stealing. No more lying. No more any of those things. Recognizing the fact that the seed of sin has been taken away from you, and recognizing the fact that you are the, the, the body of sin has been taken care of, you are unemployed when it comes to sin. Sin cannot react with your body. You have to decide that okay, I like come before I can react with you. But it cannot react with you. It's not a decision that you make. Okay? He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the last thereof. Verse 13. 
Then it says, neither yield ye. He's show, it's like he's letting you know you, have, you are responsible now. Neither yield ye or you, your body, your members, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. So now it's a decision. Yeah. Every Christian who goes to one challenge or the other decided. He was tempted and he decided. Yeah. You were tempted. It's true. But then you had a, you had a, you had a choice to say, no, like we're not going here. Or to say yes, and you said you said yes. That's the obvious truth. That's the truth. There's nothing like I couldn't help myself. You can help yourself now by God's grace. The Holy Ghost is inside you. The 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 life of God is inside you. The power of God is inside you. If you notice, it's a choice you make now. It's a choice. It's a choice. The controlling ability of sin is no more there. The nature of sin controls those in whom it, it is. But the nature of sin has been taken, taken away. The nature of God is now what is inside you. It says you are dead to sin and you are now alive to God. So recognize that and decide that it's okay. Sin, bye-bye. See you later. Sin is in the world. Remember, sin is in the world. It's everywhere. Uh, it's everywhere. And you'll be tempted. But then, just like Jesus, the Bible says he was tempted in all points and yet without sin. He was tempted, yet without sin. Why? Because the nature of sin was not in him. And he made the decision to not go along the various lines the temptations came. He told Satan. He replied to him every single time he tempted him to do something wrong. And said, no, I'm not going to go along that line. We have that same ability now. Now we have the power to say no. To sin. Neither you do your members as instruments of a righteousness unto sin. Then it says, but rather yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. This is what he is expecting you to do. Yield your members, yield your body, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. In other words, let your body be, be an expression of the righteousness of God. Do you see? Let your body express the kindness of God. Use your body to express the kindness of God, the love of God, the goodness of God, the blessing of God, rather than using it to, as an instrument for sin, to do what sin wants. You can now say no. So he says, yield. You decide. So it's a decision now. There's nothing like, sin is, okay, next verse, verse 14. Why? For sin shall not have dominion over you. Have you seen it? For sin shall not have no dominion over you. Why? For you are not under the law, but under grace. You are in a different place altogether. You are in a different world altogether. You are in the world of grace. And guess what? The grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. Look at Titus 2 11. Grace has a teaching. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. So the grace of God teaches you to deny. It enforces your no. That's what the grace of God does. The grace of God strengthens you in your ability to say no. <laughs> Teaching us that deny ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly and live righteously and live godly in this present world. So there's nothing like, oh, I, could, I can't help myself. No, you can't help yourself. You are not under the law. The law produces the strength of sin is the law. The law reveals sin. The law strengthens sin. Grace strengthens God in your life and strengthens God's ability in your life. That's what grace does. So the law is opposed to grace. Grace has a purpose. The purpose of grace is to strengthen you in your inability to say no to sin which was the old man, the old man's inability. So when the old man or the, or the natural man gets to know the law, the law of God, he rather, instead of producing righteousness, he produces sin. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Let's read it in the message version. Romans 3, 20. He says, our involvement with God's revelation doesn't put us right with God. What it does is force us to face our complicity in everyone's else's sin. Okay, this is not saying it right. I saw someone, a certain version somewhere. Let's read the Amplified. Maybe the Amplified will help us. It says, but uh, for no person will be justified, made righteous, acquitted, and judged acceptable in, the, in his sight by observing the works prescribed by the law. For the real function of the law is to make men recognize and be conscious of sin. 
not mere perception, but an acquaintance with sin, which works toward repentance, faith, and holy, holy character. He says the, the real function of, of sin, of the law, is to make men recognize and be conscious of sin. I don't know if you're seeing it. Yeah. Now, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. He says, so, so when this corruption shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Next verse. Then it says, O death, where is thy sting? O great, where is thy victory? Verse 56. The sting of death is sin. Then it says, and the strength of sin is the law. So the law is there to strengthen sin. The law is there to reveal sin and make you sin even more. That's what the old man. Now, God dealt with the nature of sin, I've told you. Dealt, dealt with the stem, the fruit of sin, the tree of sin, everything. He took everything away. And then gave you his life, gave you his spirit, and gave you his grace. Now, what's the purpose of grace? Grace is to strengthen you in your ability to follow God and say no to sin. And say no to this world. Yes. I don't know if you get it. That's 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 grace. Yeah. Grace is God's ability in you and for you to help you say no. Not do the wrong. Grace is not do the wrong when you come and say I'm sorry. Grace says it's fine. Everything is okay. No, that's not grace. So Paul says, Shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? He says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin? Romans chapter six verse one. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And it says, God forbid, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Sin and grace does not work together. No. Do you see? It doesn't work together. Grace comes to take away sin. So that's what was said in the verses before. Look at chapter 5, the last but one verse in chapter 5, and then we'll go into it. says, Moreover, the law entered that of the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, it says, Grace did much more abound. Do you see? Then verse 20 says, that as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, as that as sin has reigned unto death, sin reigned unto death through the law, of course. Even so might grace. So this is this is the purpose of grace. Grace is to help you walk in righteousness. It says, so might grace reign through righteousness unto life, unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So grace is there to strengthen you to say no and to strengthen you to walk in righteousness. So verse, chapter 6 verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Then he says, God forbid. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin? Ah, you that you are dead, you are dead to sin. You don't have any relation with it. Live any longer therein. It doesn't make any sense. So what people say about grace is actually not true. That grace means that you can do whatever you want to do and God will sort you out. No, that's not what it means. Grace empowers you to not do the wrong thing and empowers you to do the right thing. You see, for God, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Verse 3. Then he says, Know ye not, don't you know that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus, Christ were baptized into his death? Don't you know? We're baptized into Jesus and therefore we're baptized into death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. He says, we are raised from the dead, and therefore he's expecting us to walk in the newness of life, walk in the life of God. That's what he's expecting. Empowered by grace. Grace is the power of God to help you walk in the life of God. Grace is the power of God to help you reign for, for righteousness to show forth in your life, for you to live the righteous life. Verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. We are actually in the likeness of his resurrection. Then verse 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be destroyed, that hence we should not save sin. I don't know if you're understanding it. Yeah? So grace empowers you. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us that deny ungodliness and worldliness. We should live soberly. It teaches you to deny ungodliness. It strengthens you to deny ungodliness and worldliness. And teaches you and strengthens you to walk. That's Titus chapter 2, verse 12 now. Look at it. Titus 2, verse 12. Teaching us, Titus 2, 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness. So it teaches you to deny ungodliness and worldliness. And teaches you that you should live soberly. Helps you to live soberly, righteously, 
and godly in this present world. So what you need to do is to receive more grace. You realize you are faltering somewhere, receive more grace to be able to, to be able to stand the way God wants you to stand and go where God wants you to go. That's 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 how it is. You can live without have sleeping with anybody. Fornicating around. You can. It is popular in the world, but God has gotten you born again to live in this life for him. To yield your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You know, and he shows you. You see, sin is not sin is not pleasant. Sin has a sin has an aim. There's an end of sin. Sin is actually a means. Remember, where sin is, death is. Sin's purpose is to bring in death. Okay, always remember that. Always remember that. Sin brings in death. So if you go back to Romans chapter six, it shows you some more about these things. Now we read up to verse fourteen. Go to verse fourteen. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. I was trying to explain this to you. So grace, you are under grace, therefore sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? Because grace empowers you to live for the Lord, empowers you to live a holy life for the Lord. Without a holy life, he says, without holiness, no man shall see God. That's the truth. Your relationship with the Lord, or fellowship life with the Lord, will not flourish as much as it's supposed to if you throw out holiness. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You have a long way to go if you throw holiness out. Okay, and God has God has made you holy. He's telling you to walk, continue walking in holiness. That's what He wants you to do. Next verse. How do you do that? He says, "What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace?" You see, this is what some people are doing. So He answers a number of questions. He says, "What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace?" Then He says, "God forbid. God forbid again." Next verse. Then He says, "Don't you know that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey." Whether of sin unto death. You see, the wages of sin is death. Whether of sin unto death. So all Christians who yield themselves unto sin are killing themselves gradually. And one day there will be a major killing, a major death. Then it says of obedience or of obedience unto righteousness. The more you obey the Lord and obey his word and keep his word and walk in his word, the more righteousness you... You see, righteousness is um, the expression... Of God, of God's character, virtues, uh, excellence, beauty, power, and everything you can think about God. God's prosperity. The more you walk in righteousness, the more you walk in prosperity. Amazingly. If you're a Christian, you want to prosper, learn to walk in righteousness. Allow the word of God to lead you in righteousness. You see, there's a training in righteousness. Allow the word of God to train you in righteousness, to walk the way God wants you to walk and live the way God wants. And you'll be surprised at how, how much you prosper. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness, it's a choice now. It's a choice now. Know ye not that ye to, ye to go back to that place. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourself servants to obey. His servants ye are to whom you obey. So now it's up to you. You yield or not. You yield yourself to God or you yield yourself to the devil or sin. It's up to you. Next verse. Then it says, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. You see, he's explained to me some more. But God be thanked that you were, past tense, the servants of sin. When you could not do anything, you, could not, you couldn't help your sin. Sin, help, sin would just move you to do whatever. Now that you're born again, it's not, you are not a servant of sin, but you're a servant of God. Yeah. But God be thanked that you were the sins the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the, from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Okay? Which is the word of God. The gospel that was delivered unto you. Next verse, verse 18. Being then made free from sin. Have you seen it? You've been made free. All your dealings with sin has been cut off. Let's read the Amplified of this. And having been set free from sin, it says, you have become the servants of righteousness, of conformity to the will, the divine will in thought, purpose, and action. You are now a servant of righteousness, not a servant of sin. So it is easier to yield yourself in righteousness or to righteousness than it is to yield yourself to sin. Don't say, ah, sin is so powerful. Yeah, God, why did you make sin so powerful? Righteousness is more powerful. Yes, righteousness has a bigger power. It cannot be compared even to sin. Go back to King James, verse 19 now. I speak after the man of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded, he's showing you what to do now. He says, as you have yielded your members' servants on cleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity in your past, even so now, yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. You see, if you yield yourself, yourself servants to righteousness, you will live in holiness. And holiness is what makes you see God and have the presence of God with you. The Bible says that 
Joseph prospered. Why? Because, because God was with him. You need God to be with you in a special way. God is in you, and the manifestation of the Spirit must show forth around you. It's so important. If you don't know how valuable that is, you downplay what I'm telling you now. A lot of Christians don't know how valuable walking in righteousness or living the righteous, displaying the righteousness of God is. Walking holiness is it's so important. It will bring you into greatness. It will bring you into, into power. Just as Joseph was brought into greatness. Just as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were brought into greatness. Just as Abraham was brought into greatness. You will also be brought into greatness. Why? Because you decided to follow the Lord and allow his word to work in you. And not give yourself, yield yourself as instruments of righteousness unto sin. So there's more profit, <laughs> great profit, okay, in yielding yourself, yielding your members to Christ, to the word of God. Allowing the word of God to move you, not for sin to move you. Look at the next verse. It's so nice. I mean, as you read, it says, for when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. You had nothing to do with righteousness when you were a sinner. But now that you are born again, next verse. What fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? What fruits? Do you, I mean, what fruit did you have? What can you? What good thing can you talk about with your old way of doing things? You can't. You can't boast in the number of abortions you have committed. You can't boast in the number of things you have stolen, or you stole during those times, or you, you all the things. You can't boast about the lies. The life-threatening lies that you, to- you told when you were not a child of God. You can't boast of it. You are ashamed of those things. When you remember them, you're like, ah, why did I even do that? You see, he says, what fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. The end of all those things is death. Next verse, verse 22. But now, being made free from sin and become servants of God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. The end of the holiness or the results of the holiness is everlasting life. The life of God in you is increased more and more, and you, you, you show for the life of God some more. And it goes beyond this world into the world that is to come. Look at the next verse. Then it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, look at Romans chapter 8 now. Look at verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also give life to your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So the Holy Spirit is inside you to give life to your mortal bodies. Why? So that your mortal body is not subjected to the vanities of this world. He's there in you to give you life, to give you strength, to say no. So he's, the, what you have to say no are more than what you have to say yes. You don't have anything to say yes. Can you imagine? Look at verse 12. Then it says, Therefore, because of the Holy Spirit in you, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, to live after the dictates of the flesh. Do you see? Huh? For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. What is he saying? If you, if you allow your, your flesh to be yielded, your body to be yielded to the things of this world, he says, you shall die. That, it is constant. You shall die. You see, when we talk about death, you only think about physical death. It goes way beyond that. You shall die in your business. You shall die in your prosperity. You shall die in your peace. You shall die in your health. You shall die in every aspect you can think about. Yes, that's what happens. So a Christian will do something wrong. He's not seeing anything, any difference. He's not dead. It's like, oh, everything is fine. But you are denying yourself of life, the life of God, having expression in you. You see, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. It's a choice. But if you to the spirit do mortify, do mortify, do deaden the deeds of the body, you shall live. That's why the Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit is there to help you put to death the deeds of the body, the things that the body would want to get into. Because, you see, it's not been redeemed yet. It's been circumcised. But it's not been, the, the whole thing has not been taken, or taken away. It's circumcised. It's, it's easier to obey God. But every now and then, it wants to obey it tries to challenge, let's, let's, do, let's do this, let's do that. <laughs> let's do this wrong thing, let's do that, let's do that. But the Holy Spirit is there to help you mortify or deaden the deeds of the body. Says you shall live. Are you seeing it? Yeah. yeah, so that's why the Holy Spirit is there in your life, to help you, to live for the Lord. I see you living for the Lord. 
I hope I've answered you. Your question has taken so much time. All right. So let's, let's pick. There are two short questions here. I think we can do them before we, we close. This one says, um, good morning, Pastor. Good evening, Pastor. Thank you for the opportunity to ask this question. I'd like to know about doing yoga as exercise. Some of the exercise routines I do have yoga, yoga poses in them. So I'd like some clarification. Yoga is said to have Hindu demonic roots, and I've heard a lot of Christians speak against it. On the other hand, we have, we have been taught in 1 Corinthians 8 that idols are nothing, and there's only one true God, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is the knowledge we must live by. Personally, I live by that knowledge, and you have taught me that my body is at address of the Holy Spirit, and no demon can inhabit the residence of God. Even though I know this, should I stop such exercises just to be on the safe side? Thank you very much and God bless you. Well, there are aspects of yoga that brings you into, into idolatry. Okay? And introduce you uh, to things that are not of the Lord. Things that are not, are not of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and are not of, of uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay? Yes, it's true. We have one Lord, one God. There's no other thing that we, we, that can have an influence of us. You are right. All that you said is true. There's nothing wrong with the exercises. Yoga poses, there's nothing wrong with it. But there's everything wrong when um, they start making you conscious of the sun, the moon, and some spirits, and some things. When you realize that they are introducing you to that, stop it. Tell them, I didn't come for this. I came for exercise. <laughs> I didn't come for something else in my mind. You see, we have the word of God is what we use for our meditation. You see, they practice meditation. They'll say um, something, you know. I've, I've done some of those exercises before. And I remember, this is about three years ago, there was this gym that was introduced somewhere in Cantonment. Very nice place. And very yoga exercises that are very good. I mean, helps you with stretching and all of that. But at the point, they, went, they wanted to get into some of those things. So after the exercise, so rest your mind, you know, and as you are quiet, you know, just resting your mind, resting your body, they'll start passing some things around your head, some, can some incense around your head, then they'll pass their hand in your head and do something, and start saying some things over you. We told them, if this is what we are going to be doing, this is not what we came for. My wife can tell you. This is all we came for. We came for exercise. I don't need this to have a peaceful mind. I have the Holy Ghost. I have the Word of God. <laughs> the Prince of Peace and the Lord of Lords is the one who gives me a sound mind. Not this. You can't give me. You can't. You are, yoga cannot give me a sound mind. No. Do you see? So we told them off. Amazingly, that, that gym has been closed down. Because they were, they were still doing it. We told them they shouldn't do that. If they are going to be doing that, they are going to have a problem. And they've had a problem. They are, they are closed off. Because of what some of the things we're trying, we're trying to use the exercise as a means of introducing that uh, way of contacting the universe. And contact. We don't need to contact the universe. The creator of the universe is in me. The greater one is in me. I don't need that to contact him. So tell them off. You can do the poses, but when you notice that it's going beyond that, they're trying to bring some other things into, just cut it off. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. The planks, the stretches, all of those things are very good. They'll help your body. Bodily exercise profits little. There's a profit in it. It's important you exercise. You should learn to keep your body for the Holy Spirit because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and he needs it to do his work. And he needs it to do what... You see, it is, it is very difficult to educate one Christian. Uh, if the Holy Spirit has educated you to a point, he needs you here on earth to be able to educate others and do what he wants done. He doesn't want you to just come to heaven just like that. So keep your body. And if the, those exercises are going to help you, it's fine. But be careful. Don't go into those things. It's not going to help you. Unless you start saying that Jesus Christ is nothing. Okay? Then this one says, Hello, Daddy, please, would you... I would like to know the difference between strong faith and great faith. And how do I move from weak faith to strong faith? Well, this is a big one, too. It's a very big question. But I think I can use a few minutes to cover it. So weak faith is mentioned in Romans chapter 4. And then strong faith is also mentioned in Romans chapter 4. So let's read from a, from a 16. Romans chapter 4 from a 16. So you want to know what's the difference between strong faith and great faith? Well, in the Bible, there are four references to faith. 
Okay? Maybe I should look at that first. And then I'll get into this. I think that will help. So there's no faith. <laughs> no faith. That's in Mark chapter 4. Um, verse 37. Okay, from verse 36. Or 35. Go to 35. Mark 4, 35. And that same day when the evening was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took ship, they took him, even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. Next verse. Then it says, And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Verse 39. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Next verse, verse 40. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? So there's no faith. Jesus said, These guys do not have faith at all. Why? Because Jesus had spoken. Faith, how does faith come? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They heard what he said. Jesus is the word of God. And he said in verse 35, let us go over onto the other side. That word was good enough to get them to the other side because he's God and he's spoken the word of God. He's the word of God. He's spoken the word of God. That was good enough for them to have faith. They heard, but they didn't hear. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing. They heard, but they didn't hear. Do you see? So, they didn't have faith at all. They were, they were so afraid. Jesus rose and rebuked the wind. And he said, how come you people don't have faith? You have no faith. You have no faith about this particular thing. You have no faith about us getting to the other side. I have spoken. What is your problem? Jesus had spoken and so he knew that they were going to get to the other side. So he was asleep on a pillow. You know, it's amazing. It's amazing. So that there's no faith. Then there's Little faith. Okay? If you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and it shall obey you, isn't it? Yeah. Matthew chapter 17. Well, verse what? 20. Okay, so Matthew 17, verse 20. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hands to yonder faith, yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. You know, we know the mustard seed is a very small grain. Yeah. You see, so he's talking about something very small. Okay, so there's little faith, then, or mustard seed faith, and then there's great faith. Great faith. Okay, there's great faith. So your faith can be little or great. It can be little or great. Now, great faith um, is found with the, the, the centurion who said to Jesus, who said to Jesus through um, those he had sent, that don't come to my house. Just a word from you is enough. And Jesus said, I have not seen so great a faith in the whole of Israel. Luke 7 verse 9 says, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith no, not in Israel. No, not in Israel. I've not found so great faith. So your faith can be little or small or great. Now, why did this man have great faith? He had heard about Jesus. He knew about Jesus and said that, Jesus, a word, just a word from you is enough. A word from you. I'm a man set under authority. I know that if you speak, something will happen for me. You know, and Jesus said, man, this man is, this man has great faith. Do you see? Verse 8, he says, for I also am a man set under authorities, having set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say to one, go and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. Verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned unto about, turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I see unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Next verse. And they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole. That had been said, because Jesus released the word, and the guy got healed at the same hour. Then we have weak faith and strong faith. So you can have little faith, okay? You can have little faith, which is strong or weak. And you can have great faith, which is strong or weak. So little and great describe the quantity of faith that you have. 
and strong and weak describe the quality or the faith that you have. So they are not the same. Hallelujah. So you can have someone who has little faith because Jesus said, if you have, if you have faith as little as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain. So the strength of the little faith can cause the mountain to move. Now someone can have great faith. Great faith is those who have received. They've received the word so much. They've received so much. They know a lot about Jesus. Do you see? They know, but they can have great faith. This centurion had, had great faith that was strong. Do you see? You can have great faith that is weak. So, um, Abraham's um, experience explains to us some of these things, and I want to show it to you. I said we should turn to Romans chapter 4, isn't it? Romans chapter 4. Now, let's read from verse, from verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Verse 17. Then it says, as it, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickened the dead, and called those things which be not as though they were. So Abraham had heard had, had God talk so many times. So the more you hear the Lord, the more faith you receive. The greater your faith becomes. The greater the quantity. The quanti- it's talking about quantity. Your, your faith is becoming a lot. You have a lot of faith. Great faith. Great faith has come. You see, huge faith has come because you are hearing. As written, I've made the father of many nations. Next verse, I just read this, verse 18. He says, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations? According to that which is spoken, so shall thy seed be. So Abraham had faith, and there were contrary things to his faith. But, you see, God has spoken to him. And there were so many things around that made him feel and think that it was not going to come to pass. But in the midst of all those things, he did not give up. He kept, he kept his faith. And that is what made his faith strong. So, he says, Who against who believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which is spoken, so shall I say it be. Verse 19. And being not weak in faith. So, he had a lot of faith. He had great faith, but that faith could have been weak. So, he says, And being not weak in faith. This is a, is a father of uh, faith that we are talking about. He had, God spoke to him on several occasions. Do you see? God has spoken to him, but at a point, he became weak. Josiah came and said that, we have been waiting for God for a long time. This is Hagar. Why don't you go through Hagar? It's fine. You know, and Abraham, even though he had heard so much from the Lord, became weak and acted fleshly and produced Ishmael, who is after the flesh. And Ishmael has persecuted those who are after the spirit since his birth to date. When Abraham acted in the flesh, Ishmael was produced. His weakness in faith, he had, a, he had a great faith, he had a lot of faith, but his faith became weak at a point. Do you see? It says, and be not weak in faith, he considered, by this time he, was, he had become strong, and be not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. So weak faith considers. That's what weak faith does. It considers things that are around and does not consider what God has said. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead. So strong faith does not consider what is around. When he was old, when he was an, about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So he didn't look at the physical things. Okay, that made his faith strong. Earlier on, he looked at the physical things, and that made his faith weak. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Next verse, verse 20. Then it says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. He was strong in faith, giving glory to God. So strong faith gives glory to God. You can have a lot of faith, but it may be weak. You can have a lot of faith, but it may be strong. You can have a little faith, but it may be, it may be weak. You may have a little faith, but it may be strong. Don't have no faith. That's what no faith is not good. You must make sure you have faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing. You need to pay attention to God's word. Faith is ministered to you if you pay attention to God's word. It's not everybody who comes to church who receives faith. It's everyone. Because some people just hear. They don't hear and hear. They, just, they are just there. So the situation does not change. A prophecy may be released, but you, don't, you didn't even recognize that it was a prophecy for you. You didn't realize. Because you were just there. You were hearing voices. You are hearing sounds, but no, no clear voice. No clear voice. 
they say no clear language spoken spoken in your in your tongue Paul was walking with others when he fell off the, ho- the horse they also saw the light and they heard a sound the they heard the sound but they could not hear the voice they could not discern the voice they could not discern the content but Paul could discern the content so we cannot be in church but then someone is hearing something else He's seeing something else. When the pastor is talking, he's looking at the stage. He's looking at other things. Hmm, why is this one not? Ah, I thought they would, this, they would have finished this by now. Yeah, it's not, it's not that. You know, the preacher is preaching. So he's hearing, but he's not hearing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes. So Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. So one describes the quantity and one describes the quality. I see you having strong faith. Great and strong faith. In Jesus' name. How do I move from weak faith to strong faith? I just showed you. Don't consider what is around you. Consider what God has said, not what is around you, not what you're feeling. I'm not moved by what I hear. If you can remember the song, then you can, you can function in strong faith. I'm not moved by what I see. Hallelujah. I'm not moved by what I hear. Hallelujah. I'm only moved by the word of God. Hallelujah. Is, it, is that how you sing it? Yes. I'm not moved by circumstances yes i'm only moved by the word of god yes i'm not moved by circumstances hallelujah i'm only moved by the word of god hallelujah everybody's in a is it part yes it's been a long time since i sang that song so if you can remember that song you can move from weak faith to strong faith (laughs) don't look around look unto god looking unto jesus the author and the finisher of our faith just look away from all that will distract Unto Jesus. Look away from the pain. It's difficult. But look away from the pain. God is expecting to look away from the pain. Jesus always said to the people, look on me. Paul, Peter and John said to the man, look on us. Take your attention away from everything. Look on us. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I unto you. So learn to look on Jesus. He will answer your prayers. It's not too late. It's not too late. What God has said about you will come to pass. Hold on. Change has come. Hallelujah. Wow. I think we have. Should I answer one more? Okay. My question is that. Thank you for the opportunity to ask this question. My question is that. What is the armor of righteousness as mentioned in Second Corinthians six seven? Is it different from the armor of God described in Ephesians? Thank you. The armor of righteousness. It's not different at all. Let me show it to you. Okay, this is Second Corinthians 7, 6, 7. It says, By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the arm of righteousness, on the right hand and on the left. Okay, so let me show it to you. Um, if you read in, um, in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, we see the arm of God, isn't it? Verse 11, But put on the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the rulers of the darkness, or against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. So he's going to describe the armor of God. Okay? He's going to describe the armor of God. Then he says, stand therefore, having your loins get about with truth. And he's having on the breastplate of righteousness. So what second what the other scripture was saying, the one you mentioned, um, Second Corinthians chapter six or seven, is in reference to the right the breastplate of righteousness, it's the same thing. It's the same thing, the breastplate of righteousness. It's what he's referring to as the armor of righteousness, it's the same thing. It's not a different thing. Okay? Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's the same thing. I hope I've answered you. Yeah. All right. Then this is the last question I have here. Um, it says, good evening, Daddy. My question is, is then she, the person says, it's more like a clarification I need. How far can the Holy Spirit take you? Like how far can he take you? Or how far can the word of God take you? I don't really understand. Take you where? Thank you so much, Pastor, for enlightening us. And the fact that the grace of God has praise is glory and riches from Ephesians 1, 6 to 7. Please, I'd like to know more on each of these qualities of grace. We're not close today, if we should go into that. When you ask how far can the Holy Ghost take you, it can take you very far. 
it can take you to the Holy Spirit is God. Remember, your destiny is in His hands. It's in your own interest to allow Him to unveil His purpose for your life. And it's in your own interest to follow Him. Okay, follow the Lord, follow His word. There's life in that. The other side has only darkness and death. He'll take you, He'll prosper you on every side. If that's what you're looking for, He'll prosper you. He'll let you live a, a fulfilled life, most importantly. Yes, a life where at the end of the day you will not say, I regret the decisions I made. You'll be glad you made some decisions through Him and by Him. Hallelujah. God bless you so much. Thank you for joining me uh, for this short time. I'll see you on Sunday. Oh, have a wonderful time. Sunday, I'm sharing on the power of the Spirit. Come with your one. Sunday is what? What are we doing on Sunday? Exactly. So come with your suit, your tie. If you don't have a suit, just wear a shirt, nine shirts and a tie. If you don't have a tie, look nice and come. Don't let the dress prevent you from coming to church. Make sure you're in the house of God. That is not why we are doing this. We are just doing this to bring some joy into the spirit, into the system. So don't give yourself an excuse. Make sure you're around. In Jesus' name. And bring, come with your one. We're expecting you to come with your one. We are doing our each one bring one campaign. Not each one reach one. We're told to change it by one of our pastors. Each one bring one. So bring one. Don't reach. If you read the person, you read the person out there, not bring the person. Bring them. Reach and bring the person. Each one reach and bring one. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Father, thank you for your children. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your grace that is resting upon everyone. Even in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you for listening. We pray that the word of God will be rooted and grounded in your heart as you give attention to the word. Kindly follow Pastor T and Love Economy Church on all social networks for more of God's word. Don't forget to subscribe to the Pastor T podcast. Simply search for Pastor T on any podcast app, plug in and enjoy God's word. Visit our website at loveeconomychurch.org for more information. God bless.